0: Hello and welcome to the Standing for Truth Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Bedinsky, and together we will venture on a journey to explore the truth of biblical creation. Our ministry is also available on YouTube, so please search Standing for Truth and get access to the video versions of our programs. I'm Donnie Bedinsky, and as usual, Stay awesome and trust in the truth of God's Word. All right, welcome to Standing for Truth. I want to thank everybody for being here for this epic debate between Dr. Kettenhoven and Taylor from the Snake Was Right YouTube channel. We have two very seasoned debaters tonight, and they will be debating the important topic, the Genesis flood, fact or fiction. Now, before I introduce the debaters for tonight, I wanna to remind uh, anybody who's not yet subscribed, if you love debates, discussions, lectures, and more, then please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Uh, Kent, Taylor, thank you so much for being here. you. Awesome. Uh, all right, before we get into the opening statements, though, let's get to know the debaters a little bit, uh, kind of break the ice. Taylor, it's been a bit since you've been here. so Why don't we start with you? How have you been? And can you tell us a little bit about your channel?
1: Yeah, not bad. Uh, just been chilling pretty much. Um, and uh, so been a little more active on the channel lately um, and focused mostly on uh, hyper skepticism of various topics. So it's kind of whatever I'm in the mood for. And uh, so religious topics, uh, political topics, um, kind of debunking misconceptions around that. And yeah, I mean, my channel covers a lot of topics. So that's, that's the basic uh, common denominator between all of them.
0: Awesome. Well, I appreciate that introduction. Uh, Taylor, uh, Dr. Hoven, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, How you been and how's everything going on over at Dow?
2: Well, God is good. Uh, Some of his children drive me crazy, but God is good and uh, doing great. We're building Dinosaur Adventureland in Lenox, Alabama. I speak all over the place on the topic of creation versus evolution. I defend the position that the Bible is absolutely correct, scientifically, historically, mathematically, it's God's word. It's preserved. God made everything in six days, about 6,000 years ago. The evolution theory is not only stupid, it's dangerous. We teach the kids they're animals and then wonder, why are they acting like animals? Duh. So anyway, we're dedicated to fighting that dumb religion of evolution <clears throat> to the bitter end. So I appreciate the chance to have come on a debate tonight. I will take the position unashamedly that God's word is correct. There was a worldwide flood
0: I appreciate it, uh, Dr. Hovind. I appreciate the introductions from the both of you. So that being said, uh, actually, I'm going to go over the format real quick, but I do want to thank, we've got a great audience already. Uh, as I said, this is a much anticipated debate, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Dell, we got a new uh, YouTube member, so I appreciate that, and I appreciate these super stickers. So that being said, uh, we're going to be having a roughly 12-minute opening statement. We're going to be starting with uh, Snake. Then we're going to have an eight-minute uninterrupted rebuttal. Then we're going to have a cordial discussion period where the debaters are asking each other questions pertaining and related to the topic. Then we're going to have roughly five-minute closing statements. And then this is where we get you guys involved in the audience. We're going to have an audience Q&A. So please make sure you're tagging me at Standing for Truth. Uh, usually we have a few hundred people for these debates, so please just make sure you're tagging me that way. I won't miss your, uh, questions. That being said, why don't we, uh, kind of just get right into it. Then, um, we'll hand it over to Taylor, whatever times not used for the openings and the uh, rebuttals, we'll just kind of toss into the, uh, audience Q and a. So that being said, Taylor, I can hand it over to you and also, um, I'll give you a one minute warning. Once you you reach the the 11 minute mark, I'll just kind of say, hey, one minute and and you can start winding it down from there.
2: Alrighty.
0: All right, when you're good to go, just let me know and we can start your, your timer. If you need to share slides as well, of course, let me know, we can share your screen.
1: Okay, I might share some slides later, but for now I'll just do this. Sure. Okay, so. I was informed that uh mr hovind accepts that he is the affirmative burden to demonstrate that the flood is true today um and uh but i'm going first anyway i guess um so he's gonna have to show that one geological event caused all of what we see in the rock strata and um that appears to be an impossible task since the different layers and fossils form under different conditions um and many of these layers are required to form outside of watery conditions and impossible and or impossible to form in flooding conditions. Um, And uh, before I get too much into the weeds, I want to point out here, I'm not here to disprove Christianity. Um, Basically, creationism seems to be motivated by uh, if the flood is just a myth, then the New Testament must just be a myth. So the flood must be literally true because the New Testament is literally true. Um, and this kind of makes a mockery of the scientific method because it starts with the conclusion and works backwards. And it question bags. It makes the assumption that to prove the New Testament, you assume it's true. And then the flood must be true, which backs up that the New Testament is true. Um, but like I said, I'm not here to touch uh, any beliefs in Jesus or, or the, the religion of Christianity in general. Um, I'm just here to talk about Uh, the science claims being made here. Um, So uh, I will say evolution and deep time geology is not incompatible with Christianity at all. Just young earth creationism. Um, Most Christians are able to believe in Jesus while believing the Genesis stories to simply be an allegory about the relationship of man to creation. And I actually appreciate the story on that level. Um, And so, because, as we know, fiction can sometimes be a better tool for conveying really important matters of psychology and meanings of life. Um, So I'm not here to destroy any beliefs in Jesus with evolution. I do not believe evolution disproves Christianity. If I did, I'd be using evolution as an argument against Christianity as a whole. But I've never done that because I don't think it does. That's a completely different argument. So with that out of the way, um, so by necessity, the we're going to go through geology and um, so necessarily the rock layers must have been deposited in a single event if the biblical flood is true. Um, So this means that any features in the rocks that require dry or calm marine sedimentation will preclude the flood from even being a possibility. Unfortunately for creationism, these exist in abundance. So Ichno fossils, which include footprints of animals and other traces of animal activity, uh, cannot have been preserved under flood conditions. And yet they're found throughout the rock strata. So if you pour explosive flood waters and liquid mud on top of footprints that are in the mud, all you get is mixed up mud. So, um, and these fossils are known to only be preserved in calm water environments or dry environments. So, uh, and the biblical flood would have simultaneously been producing water flows supposedly strong enough to carve through solid rock and move continents, but yet at the same time gentle enough to preserve uh, small footprints in the sand, which is, and this is a crucial point because all of these things must have been formed simultaneously with the same event occurring over just a couple of months. Um, so those are incompatible. Um, and, uh, so speaking of carving through rocks, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the grand Canyon because it contains a lot of evidence for the age of the earth, which by the way, um, Christian creationist academics were the ones who originally came up with the concept of an old earth because the evidence was too strong in favor of that um, as modern geological techniques became more sophisticated. Um, so speaking of the Grand Canyon, um, it, it contains a lot of, uh, elements to it that preclude the flood. So, um, just in general, if the flood was true, you'd have to believe that the flood laid down all the layers in the Grand Canyon as, uh, muddy sediments. Then the flood waters would have to recede so it can, So the rock can lithify all while the waters are supposedly above the highest mountains. Then the waters conveniently come back and use some extreme pressure, very selective pressure to carve into the rocks Um, and their jagged edges. So they were not formed by soft mud. Uh, The floodwaters would have to uh, very selectively decide where to, place their pressure um, because the the winding of the Grand Canyon, which is supposed by young earth creationists to have been carved by the flood, uh, it winds around like a natural river does and changes direction. It ha- takes tight, 180 degree tur- curves um, and these are typical of slowly eroding rivers um, and are not seen in giant floods, there are actually um, uh, or geographic or, uh, geological artifacts on Mars that we can tell were from giant explosive floods and they're very straight and they're much bigger than the Grand Canyon and they don't contain those uh, weaving tight curves that we see in the Grand Canyon. And uh, anyway, you, you would also have to believe that this complicated and very selective process would have to occur in less than 150 days. Uh, the uh, Coconina sandstorm or sandstone of the Grand Canyon could have only formed in dry conditions. Uh, the limestone, just in general, but Grand Canyon also has limestone, uh, would have taken thousands of years to deposit. Uh, we know that the max rate of uh, limestone deposition um, and sedimentation is uh, two inches per year, and it has to be in calm, warm, acidic waters which would not be the case uh, in the flood, at least as purported. The uh, flood would have been very hot, but we'll get there. Um, So uh, the lower strata of the Grand Canyon, they're stacked on top of each other, but tilted at an angle. So you'd have to somehow come up with a mechanism that the flood would have had to lay those strata down, lithify them, then pick them up as they were all in a stack, and lay them back down like this, all intact. Um, the Grand Canyon also contains repeating layers of sandstone separated by other types of rocks, so they could not have been hydrologically sorted by density. Um, limestone, uh, yeah, we already covered that. Um, so the Grand Canyon really contains a lot of features that disprove the flood all on its own. Um, these features are all over the world but uh the grand canyon it also contains um ichno fossils and footprints in between the layers so that definitely could not have been formed by a flood depositing uh over and over uh especially because the flood was so violent Uh, as for the ark itself it would not have been seaworthy attempts at building sizable wooden ships With more modern technology have been met with failure. These ships sank and they were smaller than the Ark and had better technology. Um, And I mean, the Ark has been has been a horse beaten to death many times. So I'll try and be brief. The amount of food required to feed the animals would have been immense, would not have fit on the Ark. Even if we accept that the amount of animals must fit on the Ark, which that's dubious. Um, Compounded with the need to have fresh water stores. Um, for example, elephants require hundreds of pounds of food and water per day. Um, and that's, you would have to have eight of them. And that's only one type of animal there. There are obviously tens of thousands of different kinds biblically. Um, you would need exercise room for all the animals. Uh, they can't just stand in place the whole time and be healthy. Um, and, uh, So I would want to see affirmative uh, demonstration of uh, maybe show me some math, how you can fit all the animals, the food and water and space for the animals. It seems like it's just asserted that this all fits and then we move on. I've never seen any comprehensive description of this. This is pretty much a linchpin of whether this biblical story happened. Um, And the, the final point about that would be, Given the constriction of biblical kinds being on the ark, uh, even given the comparatively small amount of extant species that exist today, uh, you'd have to have unrealistically fast hyper evolution post flood. You would need you would have to see about one species, one new species per year per kind. On average, uh, some of them would be less, some of them would be way more. And that's definitely not what we see today, uh, even on the microevolutionary level. Um, and it's also very suspicious that 99% of life was completely wiped out, went extinct over the course of this flood. This was not very good planning uh, for whoever this planner supposedly was. Then there's the heat problem, which is, I would say, the main problem. And to summarize that, uh, just the subduction alone from the rapidly moving continental uh, plate tectonics, that would boil off our oceans by over 2,000%. So over 22.7 times if we were to increase the ocean by 300%. So that's, that's even including a bunch of extra water that has never been confirmed exists on the Earth it's still almost 23 times going to boil off the oceans and uh, make the earth uh, about the temperature of the sun. And that's not even including the volcanic activity, the heat from volcanic activity or heat from accelerated nuclear decay and other sources, which would leave the earth a melting ball. So all of this is just physically impossible. And um, the final point would simply be um, all the dating methods that uh, cross confirm each other—they all point to the old age of the Earth. And I know there's um, lots of um, points that Kent would say refute that. So we could—I guess—we can talk about that. And I'll—I'll I'll leave that there for now.
0: All right, thank you for that opening statement, uh, Taylor. Perfect timing, 12 minutes, pretty well right on the dot. Uh, To the chat, uh, once you start sending in those questions again, please uh, make sure you are tagging me. we have got over 200 people right now for this epic debate. So let's hand it over to uh, Kent, Kent, whenever you're ready, the floor is yours and you have 12 minutes.
2: All right, well, thank you so much for letting me do this. And thank you, uh, Taylor, for coming on the program here. I, as I said, I take the position the Bible is correct. There was a worldwide flood. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, at the end of time, knowing this first, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And it says they will be willingly ignorant, which means dumb on purpose, of how God made the heavens. Heavens is plural. There were three heavens in the original creation. And the earth standing out of the water and in the water. <clears throat> Today, the earth's atmosphere we're breathing has, is about uh, six layers. Goes up about ten miles, but if you go up ten miles, there's a 60 sixty, uh, 60 minus sixty degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, at uh, sixty at ten miles up, and you go up hundred eighty miles, it's, it's eighty below zero. It's chilly up there. So there are some can there are some heat sinks in our current atmosphere. The atmosphere of the Earth is very complex. It has at least seven layers to it. People argue about how many, but we'll call it seven layers. I believe the original creation was very different than what we see today. And the scoffers today are ignorant of that creation. I'm a firm believer that the earth used to have a seventh layer, a layer of ice around the atmosphere, maybe 10 miles up, 12 miles up. Today, the atmosphere is stretched out about two to 300 miles. There used to be ice above that, compressing it down into a smaller ball, closer to the surface of the earth, which I've got here someplace. So the earth's atmosphere today, some people argue goes up as high as 300 miles. I don't know. Most of it's within 20 or 30 miles of the surface. You can't get an airplane above seven or eight miles without great difficulty to fly. The Earth has a diamagnetic field. Uh, mag- magnets, ice, super cold ice is magnetic. When is Arctic ice like a magnet? Interesting. Venus, or Neptune, Uranus and Neptune may have ice around them because we can tell by the magnetic field. So the gas giants, there are ice giants out there. So at about six miles up and about 50 miles up, it's about 80 to 100 below zero right now. When I flew to Australia, we're flying along, and the pilot on the plane had a little, camera, or little uh, c- computer screen up there. It's at outside temperature, minus 100. I mean, it, over the desert, 100 degrees above zero down below you, but just 10 miles up, 100 below zero. Anyway, so the layers of the atmosphere, troposphere, stratosphere, mesosphere, thermosphere, exosphere, et cetera. I believe there used to be a crystalline canopy of super cold ice about 10 miles above the Earth that made the pre-flood world very different. That's why they lived to be 900 and why the reptiles grew to be 60 feet long. Dinosaurs did not live millions of years ago. They lived under this pre-flood condition with the canopy overhead. An ice canopy would block UV light, which is one of the things that causes animals to age. It would increase air pressure and it would uh, make a very, very different world. It could have been held up by the Earth's magnetic field since super cold ice is magnetic or like a big inflatable building. There are some giant inflatable buildings in the world. They get really big, 180,000 square foot in Alaska is a sports complex. Seven of the world's most intense inflatable structures. Wait a minute. The dome main, main, remains, maintains a constant 15 to 17 pounds of air pressure. Even without the dome, it's 14.7. Atmospheric pressure is 14.7 PSI. So it only takes a couple of pounds of pressure to hold this thing up. So a couple of pounds of air pressure would, inflate, uh, over the, would have a canopy over the earth inflated easily. It wouldn't take much. A cubic foot of water weighs 62 pounds. An inch layer of ice weighs five pounds per square foot. So you divide this up, you find out a current air pressure at sea level 14.7. A slight increase in air pressure by squeezing the current atmosphere down into 10 miles would support the ice canopy with air pressure alone. You add the magnetic component, I think it's not a problem for there to be a canopy of ice above there. Super cold ice is magnetic. The Japanese float their trains off the tracks with super cold magnetic ice. There's a pumpkin floating, a frozen pumpkin floating out over a magnet. Super uh, magnetic skateboard, okay? Super cold ice is magnetic. You can study all about the concentrator effect, et cetera. So everybody agrees, I think, that super uh, ice under certain conditions becomes magnetic. So this ice, when the space shuttle blasts off, it makes ice clouds behind, and they end up floating and drawn into the North and South Pole. Why? Well, they're magnetic, okay. Josephus 2000 years ago wrote that the God set the heaven above the universe surrounding it with ice. The Jews have always taught that the earth was originally created with a layer of ice above the atmosphere. They taught it was two fingers to three fingers thick, couple inches of ice. He placed a crystalline firmament around it from Josephus book one. God made the firmament, the thickness being three fingers. This guy said the firmament has two fingers thick. I'm sure the Jews argued about whether it's two fingers or three fingers. Anyway, the word rekaya in the Hebrew there means a flat and solid surface. On the second day, God brought forth four creations, the firmament, hell, fire, and the angels. The firmament is not the same as the heavens of the first day. It's the crystal stretched forth over the heads of the Hayat. You can read all about that. It was made to crystallize into a solid. Now, this crystalline canopy 10 miles up would not melt for many reasons. A, it's in a heat sink, you know, 100 below zero up there. Secondly, it's like an igloo. It conducts heat away. Eskimos can go in their house, in their igloo, and build a fire. It can be 60 degrees inside and negative 50 outside, and the igloo won't melt. So it's a matter of temperature and altitude and stuff like that. So I believe Taylor is ignorant of the original creation, what it was like. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, the scoffers in the last days will be willingly ignorant of the creation and the flood and the coming judgment of God. So I believe If we understand what the crystalline canopy was, what the earth was created to be like, God made it so people people could live forever. According to the Bible, and according to lots of historians, there was a time called the Golden Age when man used to live to be a thousand. They lived a long time. They were designed to live forever until they sinned. So not only were the humans living a long time, everything was living a long time. We have beavers in our lake down here. World's biggest beaver today is about 30 inches, two and a half feet. They find fossil beavers eight feet long. Something was different before. They find fossil centipedes eight feet long. Fossil dragonflies with 50-inch wingspan. Well, they couldn't possibly fly today. You'd have to have increased air pressure and uh, thicker air, basically, and richer oxygen. I believe the earth had probably 30% oxygen in the original creation. Today, we're breathing 21, depending upon your altitude and pressure, et cetera. The Bible says God founded the earth upon the seas and established it upon the floods. He laid up the depth in storehouses. The original creation had most of the water that's now in the ocean was inside the crust of the earth. He stretched out the earth above the waters. Psalm 136. So Paul said he was caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There's three heavens. First heaven where the birds fly. We call that the air. Second heaven where the outer space is. We call that outer space where the stars are. Third heaven where God lives. Apparently Paul was caught up to the third heaven. This is the only reference to it in the Bible. But the original creation, I believe, had most of the water under the crust of the Earth, a crust to stand on, maybe 10 miles thick like we have today, and then a 10-mile layer of air, and then a couple-inch thick layer of ice above the atmosphere. That would block out UV light. It would increase air pressure. It would explain why some animals grew to be huge and why giant dinosaurs had small nostrils and small lungs. It was a different world back then. The water under the crust of the Earth is where most of the flood water came from. The Bible says, and the fountains of the deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. So the water that was inside came shooting to the surface and flooded the world. If rock weighs about 160 pounds per cubic foot, so if there's 10 miles of rock, that would put 800, 8.5 million pounds of pressure per square foot on that water. Once it develops a crack, it'll come shooting up out of there like a missile and probably launch rocks out into space, get them up to escape velocity to leave Earth's orbit. All scientists agree the earth's crust is broken up like an eggshell into plates and that many of the plates are still moving. No argument about that that I know of. So the earth's crust is broken up, why? I think that came from the flood. Most of the volcanoes and earthquakes are along these fault lines. America has hundreds of fault lines, okay? So the water underneath was able to shoot up through these cracks these, as the, during the flood that ejecting water would shoot shoot uh, shoot things up in, into space. I believe a lot of the debris floating around in space that we still come around and run into once in a while, asteroids and meteors, probably came off the Earth, got blasted off at the time of the flood. Some of it would come right back, some would not reach escape velocity. It's interesting, if you look at the Moon, the near side of the Moon has got bigger craters than the far side. It's like the Moon got blasted from the Earth like a shotgun and then stuff drifted past the Moon, gravity caught it, brought it back, and the smaller stuff hit the backside. Why are there differential craters on the Moon? There are craters all over the Earth. Probably from stuff got ejected off during the time of the flood. So there's about 300 miles of atmosphere, but most of it's within 10 miles, okay? So the shattering of this pre-flood ice canopy around the world would allow the atmosphere to expand from 10 miles to the current 300 miles. And, And maybe Taylor doesn't know, but as gas expands, it absorbs heat. Get a spray can, hold the button down, it'll get cold in your hand as you release the pressure in the can. Changing from a gas to a liquid, there's latent heat of condensation, latent heat of vaporization. You study all that in physics class. But see, he's claiming about the heat being a problem from this flood. It's true when it rains, it releases heat into the atmosphere. But when the atmosphere expands, it absorbs the heat. Also, when wood is turned into coal, it absorbs the heat. And the movement of all these continents is going to take a lot of energy. So, And the crust of the Earth is about 10 miles thick. Underneath that, it's really hot, molten rock. I don't think there's a heat problem at all. Latent heat of condensation, energy is released when water vapor condenses to form liquid droplets. High School Physics 101, I taught that for 15 years. So, yes, I think the heat from the rain could be a problem if it weren't for the fact that the atmosphere is also expanding, which is going to neutralize it, negate it, equalize it, cancel it. So the reason a can gets cold after being used is a process known as abiotic cooling, a property of thermodynamics. A gas initially at high pressure cools when the pressure is released. Simple physics. Okay. And you can get all into the uh, ideal gas law and uh, Boyle's gas law and all that stuff. If you want to look it up for yourself. Charles law, Boyle's law, Avogadro. Okay. So we won't bore you with all that. That's how an air conditioner works. You compress the gas and then you release the pressure and you blow fans past which side you want. You want to add the heat or add the cool. Take, Take away the heat. Let's see. Argonne Laboratory. They were able to take coal, make artificial coal. Huh. Interesting. There's a lot of coal in the world. Wyoming has the thickest coal seam in the world, up to 300 feet thick. There's 1.15 billion short tons, 1.16 trillion short tons of coal in the world. Yeah, 300 foot thick layer. Am I done? Oh no, no, you, you still got one minute, Kent. Okay, good, thank you. So wood under high pressure and heat turns to coal. There is a huge amount of coal in the world. This would absorb the heat, Taylor, not a problem. So the problem here is you don't understand what that world was like. The original creation was different. It was destroyed by a flood. And the moon is pulling the water up on the earth. So the water rushing into that bump, holding, as it's the same speed the earth is turning at this latitude, nearly 900 miles an hour. All the layers of the earth probably formed in a few months, not millions of years. All the layers we see of the earth are the same age. You evolutionists believe the top layer is younger. where did it come from? Outer space? All the layers are the same age. There is no geologic column. The whole thing is a hoax. I taught earth science 15 years. We can have the whole debate on that if you'd like. But the Bible says the scoffers will be willingly ignorant of the creation and the flood. This flood explains the geology of the world today much better than millions of years of evolution. We'll get into footprints next time. Go ahead.
0: All right. Perfect timing as well, uh, Dr. Hovind. I appreciate that opening statement. Uh, thank you both to Taylor and Kent for your opening statements. Uh, We've got a ton of questions and super chats flying in as well. So as always, uh, we are going to have an awesome audience Q&A, it looks like. So that being said, we're now moving into the uninterrupted rebuttal. Uh, we're going to hand it over to Taylor. Just make sure you unmute yourself when you're ready to talk. You have... Eight minutes. Again, I'll give you a one minute warning when you reach the seven minute mark. So, uh, Taylor, when you're good to go, floor is yours.
1: Okay. so um, I saw a lot of using the Bible to prove the Bible, which is circular reasoning, which is a logical fallacy. So we'll just move on from there since that's not science. And there's really nothing to say about that other than uh, it's a fallacy. And so we can't use that as evidence. Um, and so you say you're a firm believer of the idea that there's an ice layer surrounding the Earth. Um, but having a firm belief seems to be the only evidence that you have for that belief. Um, I don't. You do. All you have is um, maybe some explanations for how an ice layer might stay afloat around the Earth. Um, You don't really have, well, you don't have any evidence that it actually existed, which um, according to your standards, uh, and that is a good standard to have, you do need to have evidence of something that exists in order to propose that it exists. You don't have any evidence of it, you just say you believe it, Um, but I came here to talk about things that we can show with science, so... We can pretty much just dismiss that as well, unless you do have some actual evidence uh, that it did exist instead of just explanations of how it might exist. Um, but for a second, we can assume that there is an ice layer around the Earth, um, and only a partial amount of the heat generated uh, from the movement of the continents is going to boil off the oceans that are increased by 300% over 23 times over. So even if we assume that there's an ice layer around the world, that ice, uh, it has about um, it has 22 times more heat than re- is required to boil off the uh, 400% of the Earth's oceans left over to deal with. And that's, that's only a fraction, actually, of the heat that's actually there. Um, and so let's include the seven layers of the cold air around the earth too. Um, And we'll just, I mean, we'll be generous because I'm just doing the estimates right now. Uh, You'd still have like about 14 times more of the heat. If you add in the ice wall or the ice canopy, uh, which by the way, still has no evidence for it and all the, earth uh the air layers let's just count those all as uh each individually needs as much heat to dissipate as 400% of the earth's oceans that's very generous you're still going to have 14 times that amount of heat that's needed to boil the oceans left over if we melt the ice Okay, so we'll add another one. So 13 times more because we would have to boil the the melted ice. Um, And again, that's still only a fraction of the heat because we still have to deal with the uh, heat needed from the accelerated nuclear decay, which you'd need to accept if you're going to say that the radiometric dating is wrong, which I'm very sure you do. Um, And uh, so the coal wouldn't absorb all the heat either. It would still be hot, and it does not have the ability to absorb all that heat. It's been calculated even by creationists that the entire earth would be molten, the rock included. Uh, So we're not just talking about the water. We're not just talking about the air or the ice. We're talking about the rock itself will be lava. It won't be vaporized. Well, it might be, but uh, it's at least molten. Um, and so the, the, uh, the actual reason gas gets colder when it expands the actual physics is because the air is moving away. The particles are moving away from each other. They're still hot (laughs) that the actual air itself is not cooling down. What's cooling down is where they, where it came from because the hot air moved away from it. The gas stays the same temperature and it's shooting around. So the water boiling, it's, it's just a transfer of heat. And the reason a can seems cold is because you're transferring a little bit of heat away from room temperature. So, but if you have enough heat to melt the entire earth several times over, there's still going to be heat heating up the metaphorical can, so to speak. The, the, um, the, And like I said, the the heat is transferring into the air. So if all of the heat from this process gets transferred into the coal, into the ground, into the water, and it boils off, let's just say that that cools the earth down, even though that's insanely generous. You have a cold earth. But all of the water is still still carrying all of that heat and it's still dispersing across space. So the water's still boiled. It's still gone from the earth. And all you have is a barren earth with no water on it. That's best case scenario. Uh, So like I said, the the gas that gets scattered still carries that heat. The heat isn't thrown off into nothingness. It is carried away by the gas. I guess uh, I'm not sure what else was covered. Uh, I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to. Um, I will mention, though, a uh, quick point. I, I'm not willingly ignorant because all of the science clearly points toward an old earth. All of, Most of the scientists um, agree with that. Um, and let's assume I'm wrong. Let's assume we're all wrong. It's still unintentional. It's not willingly willing ignorance. Um, so let's just not go into the ad hominem attacks. Um, I'm, I assure you that you specifically don't want to go there. So let's just keep it with the science.
0: All right. Well, that is about seven minutes. So we will be throwing a minute into the Q&A. Uh, thank you for your rebuttal. Uh, Snake, we're gonna hand it over to Dr. Hovind. You have eight minutes as well. Whenever you're ready, the floor is yours.
2: Well, thank you, sir, and I appreciate that. Uh, It's obvious uh, uh, Taylor is concerned about the heat uh, generated from the, the flood of Noah. 40 days of rain would generate a lot of heat called the latent heat of condensation, there's no question. But I think it could be easily negated, as I mentioned, from the atmosphere expanding, which absorbs the heat, or from the wood turning into coal, which would absorb the heat. So there's no question. Uh, that he he has not proven this would be a problem. He believes it's a problem. He's chosen not to believe the Bible because of his imaginary problem he created. But I think there's a logical scientific answer for this. Uh, He made so so many comments. I'd love to get on here. Um, Let's see. Using the Bible to prove the Bible. Well, there's no evidence whatsoever for evolution. There's no evidence that any animal's ever produced anything other than its kind. Dogs produce dogs and cats produce cats without exception. But you guys believe by faith that dogs and bananas have a common ancestor. That's not science. I, I agree, I cannot prove the Bible scientifically, at least most of it cannot be proven scientifically. The Bible says, God said, I made it. Okay, I, I choose to believe that. Now, if you guys choose, choose to believe that mosquitoes and elephants have a common ancestor, that's your religious belief. Evolution is a religion by every standard that I can see. So yes, I've chosen to believe it, but I'm not requiring everybody to pay for my religion to be taught in the school system. You guys want all of us to pay for your religion to be taught. I resent that. I'm going to oppose that till I die. Okay. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Using. Let's see. There. I. I never said there is an ice layer. I think it's gone. It fell down. Super cold ice being magnetic. When it shattered with the fountains of the deep breaking open, the shattered canopy would be sucked in and dumped on the poles. There would be a rapid ice dump. Ice age. Why are mammoths found frozen standing up? They were buried in probably 50 or 60 feet of snow in seconds which would have come from the destroyed uh, canopy. The ice pushing out would make glaciers uh, sliding out rapidly clear down to Kansas City, Missouri, leaving behind bulldozed ahead piles of rocks called terminal moraines or lateral moraines on the side. Piles of rocks, they're all over the world. There's no question there was an ice age. But when did it happen? I think it came simultaneous with the flood. So you mentioned the geologic column. You do believe in that. I'm sorry. We'll fix that if you'll listen. There is no such thing as a geologic column. This whole thing was made up in the 1800s by Charles Lyell and other people who said the earth has layers. Yeah. And they gave each one names, Jurassic, Triassic, Mississippi, and Devonian. The whole thing is baloney. All the layers are the same age. If you shuffle a deck of cards, is the top card younger? No. If you shake a jar of mud, water, and uh, sand and stuff, we do it here every day when we give our tours. School group, school group came through today. We stop, shake the, shake the jar. It settles into layers in seconds. The top layer is not younger. All the layers form at the same time simultaneous it's a matter of density so top layer can't be younger if the top layer of the dirt of of the earth is younger it had to come from outer space no all the layers are the same age does the geologic column exist no it doesn't exist anywhere we can cover more on that some other time about grand canyon we would get into that for a long time too anyway the geologic column can only be found in the textbook The only place you'll ever find your geologic column. This textbook admitted it's right here beside me, Earth Science Book, Prentice Hall. They said, uh, I'm sorry, HBJ, Harcourt, Brace, Jovanovich. If there were a column of sediments, unfortunately, no such column exists. The geologic column does not even exist anywhere except in the imagination. It's true the Earth has layers. I'm not saying it doesn't have layers. I'm saying they're not different ages and they're not arranged in this order all over the world. There's only a very few places where you can even find them in the order they say they happened. Most of the world, 99.9% of the world doesn't have them that way. The global stack of index fossils exists nowhere on earth. The geologic column does not exist and does not need to be explained by flood geology. There is no geologic column. Change through time. If it existed, the layers you guys talk about, it'd be a hundred miles thick. The whole crust of the earth is only about eight to 10 miles thick. I'm sorry, there isn't a geologic column. It doesn't have, you're wrong. They make up all these layers, you know, the shale and limestone. And uh, there's true. We got. I live in a gravel pit. We got lots of layers. There are seven layers of gravel coming out of our gravel pit that go all the way to North Carolina, and they're all rounded off, rounded rocks. These things were tumbled back and forth like a rock tumbler, so they're all rounded, like trillions of them, all the way to North Carolina, all the way to South Florida. The gravel layers could not be formed with anything other than a catastrophic flood. I think the tide. The moon pulling the tide up and down on the Earth would make the water rush back and forth to keep the bump full. At this latitude, 31 degrees above the equator, we're turning almost 900 miles an hour. So the water is constantly rushing one way or the other to stay under the moon because the moon's gravity at the same speed the Earth is turning. At the equator, uh, latitude zero, it's 1,037.6 degrees, six miles per hour. At the North Pole, zero. So the water moving sideways is what formed all these layers that you guys believe are different ages. It all happened rapidly. All the shale, the sandstone, all these layers would have formed uh, quickly, not over millions of years. Let's see, what do I got in there twice for? There we go. So the geologic column does not exist. All over the world there are anomalies like petrified trees standing up, connecting all the layers. How can the layers be different ages? Trees only stand up a couple years after they die. The flood explains the coal. It explains the all the geology of the earth. People say, where did all that flood water go? It's still here. These oceans are huge. There's enough water out there right now to cover the earth a mile and a half deep, 8,800 feet. Everywhere. Plenty. So the Bible says at the end of the flood, the mountains arose, the valleys sank down, and the water rushed off. It would form canyons in minutes. Grand Canyon probably formed in a few weeks, not millions of years. Come see our demonstration. Taylor, I'll give you a tour of the place. Enjoy show you our demonstration where we make miniature Grand Canyon in seconds. All you need is water. Once the water gets moving, it picks up speed, and it picks up debris. And now it's not just erosion. Now it's liquefaction and cavitation and hydraulic plucking and all kinds of strange things happen with rapidly moving water. So these index fossils that they predict might be found a few places uh, just on pure accident, but they're not found that way all over the world. They say, well, the birds are found on top. That proves birds evolved last. I say, no. Birds are not always found on top, but if they're found on top, maybe that's because they can fly. They're the last ones to drown in a flood. Of course they're found on top. They got hollow feathers, hollow bones. They say clams are found at the bottom. Yeah, they're already at the bottom when the flood started. Like duh, of course they're first one's buried. If the water came up 200 feet and came in at 900 miles an hour, it's gonna make a layer of mud 50 feet thick in 10 seconds. We have petrified clams in our museum, hundreds and hundreds of them, there are millions in the world, and they're petrified in the closed position. Now, wait a minute. When a clam dies, it opens. You're lucky to find a matched pair of seashells when you go to the beach. Petrified closed clams are found on top of Mount Everest. They're found on top of the Himalaya Mountains. They're found on top of the mountains in Peru, South America. Giant petrified clams much bigger than the world's record today. One minute. The record oyster today's 14 inches. They find them 11 feet up in Peru. I think there was a flood. You might want to believe on that. Go ahead. Okay, I appreciate I
0: over. it. No, you, you still got about 30 seconds, but if you want, oh, we can.
2: Taylor, yeah. we want you to come give your heart to the Lord, get saved. You make a great Christian. We'll work on you, okay?
0: All right, I appreciate that, uh, Kent. I appreciate the eight-minute rebuttals from the both of you. Uh, so it looks like we're now moving into the discussion portion. Great debate so far, gentlemen. Uh, and looks like we have quite a few interesting topics and points to discuss. So as always, we like to keep this cordial. And as equally timed as possible, sticking to one topic at a time. Uh, Taylor, since Kent just ended with his rebuttal, why don't we hand it over to you to start us off with the discussion. Gentlemen, the floor is yours.
1: All right. So uh, real quick, you can see the entire geologic column for life, not for the entire geological history of Earth, but just for life all the way down to the uh, Precambrian in the Grand Canyon and in Manitoba, Canada, I think there's others too. But um, my question would be, uh, it doesn't seem like you actually showed any demonstration or research that shows that the layers formed at the same age and you just asserted it. Is there anything beyond just the assertion for that?
2: Well, you can do a demonstration in a few seconds in any laboratory, get a, a flask or a test tube and. Put some different materials in there and shake it up. You say buy those little things at Walmart. There are two different or four different densities of sand. When you flip it over, they'll form many layers. A little sand art toy. It's an easy demonstration to do. So I think the it's simple for a kindergartner to demonstrate that layers form quickly. Get any material that is a mixture of different densities, like these things. These little sand. I should have one here. Sand art toy. They'll have two or three or four different densities of sand. You shake it up. It always settles into layers. Very quickly, mm-hmm.
1: uh, right. but and in, in the Grand Canyon we have repeated layers of, uh, um, I think it, of sandstone, sandstone, and so they could not have been hydrologically sorted. And just because something can happen quickly, which by the way that that little demonstration is not, they don't lithify; it doesn't turn into rock. So just because something can happen quickly doesn't mean some specific situation happened in the exact same way, Uh, because as we can see that there are layers forming slowly right now. It's it's not true of all rock formation.
2: Okay, we'll take one topic at a time. This is a picture of Grand Canyon from an earth science book right beside me. We see hundreds and hundreds of layers, all stacked like pancakes. Why are there no erosion marks between these layers? If those layers, here we go, thank you, ma'am. If those layers truly are different ages, wouldn't wouldn't it rain once in a while, waiting for millions of years for the next layer? You can form yeah, layers there's... in seconds. It doesn't take a long time. And as far as liquefy or lithify to turn to rock, of course, that would depend upon all kinds of factors. Is it above water? Uh, how long, how much pressure is it under? But all the different types of rock, the sandstone in Grand Canyon, multiple, it's sandstone, limestone, shale, slate, all kinds of different layers. Every tide going back and forth is gonna make a new collection of layers. Noah was in the ark for 880 tidal changes.
1: You'd yeah, so form there, all the layers
2: in the Grand Canyon in a week.
1: There is um, uh, rivers, evidence of um, erosion, um, rain droplets found between these layers. So there is evidence of erosion. And uh,
2: as far no, wait, as Just a minute, Taylor. Earlier in your speech, you said there are no footprints found between these layers. But now you're saying no, there, there are. No, there are. Found between the layers.
1: There are, which there are footprints. that the flight couldn't have happened.
2: Well, no, during the flood, the tide's going up and down, the water going back and forth, animals are running to find high ground, which is slowly disappearing. It might've taken four months to kill everybody. Noah was in that ark for a year. So during the first few months of the flood, the crust of the earth floating up and down, it didn't like rain and everybody dead in 10 seconds. So there's pl- plenty, there are lots of footprints found fossilized. Dinosaur trackways in Glen Rose, Texas, hundreds and hundreds of dinosaur footprints in stride so obviously, many of them were running. By looking at them, because the toes are depressed deeper, and the, the stride increases greater than the normal stride when they're walking. So I think there's lots of footprint evidence that there was animals running from something, running toward high ground, and now they're buried. The layer is buried, and the footprint is preserved. We got a bunch of the footprints here in our museum. Come on down, and see our museum. Anyway, so um, in, I think I disagree. In, I think footprints did form. I think raindrops did get preserved. I think uh, the flood. Some areas would be calm. Some areas would be storming. It's probably storming right now someplace in the world. It's calm right here. Yes, right
1: and in in modern flood situations, you don't get those ichnofossils because they're they're too fragile to be preserved in flood situations. Fossilized and and several of those foul. layers are only possible to be formed. The uh, uh, the sandstone is only po- it cannot form in flood conditions. Only dry conditions.
2: I didn't catch that. What can only form in in flood conditions? The sandstone. Sandstone? No, we could we shake up our jar here. Well, this where did I just put it? This is four different colors of sand inside water between two layers of glass. It'll form multiple layers of nothing but sand, called sand. Not arc. sandstone, though. It'll turn to stone if it dries out. The uh, and the water the, has any uh, if the water has any elements in there that allow it to stick together which is there's all kinds of different things that cause sand particles to stick and turn it to sandstone. But even then sandstone crumbles pretty easily. There's all kinds of hardnesses, different, different hardnesses in sandstone, limestone, shale. It's, it's that's a whole complex field of science. just studying mineralogy and rocks. So
1: yes, I, I think and so the no, geologists can't
2: be explained by a flood.
1: Go ahead. The geologists have studied specifically the Coconino sandstone layer uh, has dunes in it that can that are only formed in dry conditions, they don't look like the dunes that form underwater. And the people okay. who study this, there's not one who uh, has concluded that that sandstone layer was formed in uh, flood or wet, even wet conditions.
2: Well, if the earth's crust is flexing up and down like Noah's flood, we know the earth's crust is broken up like an eggshell, nobody argues about that. There might have been some sections of the earth that were above water for months and the sandstone could form during dry conditions and then later they get submerged. I think everybody would agree that probably every square inch of the earth has been submerged at one time or another. Uh, Every every square inch of the earth shows evidence of flood Now, whether it was all at the same time, like Noah's flood, you guys could argue about that. But I think I could point out you'll have a hard time, hard find hard time finding a spot where the earth has not been flooded. The top of Mount Everest is loaded with seashells. 2,000 feet of the top of Mount Everest is seashells and clams. I think it was flooded. Now, I don't think Noah's flood was over Mount Everest. It's five miles high. I think the Bible says at the end of the flood, the mountains arose and the valleys sank down. If you filled this room three feet deep in water and lifted up that end of the building, all the water would come down here and be six feet deep, and now that would be above ground. It's interesting. All the mountain ranges I'm aware of in the Earth follow the coastlines. The Rocky Mountains follow the Pacific Ocean. The Appalachian Mountains follow the North Atlantic. The Alps the Andes Mountains in South America follow the South Pacific. I think the mountains and oceans formed at the same time because of the same thing. The crust of the earth was flexing. Psalm 104, the mountains arose, the valley sank down. I think the Bible's true. Go ahead. Uh, So there was a lot there. So
1: did you say that you don't think the waters covered Mount Everest?
2: Did I hear that right? I I didn't hear that question. I I think the water covered the whole earth during the flood, but maybe not all at the same time. Noah was in the ark for one year. It rained for 40 days, but the water kept coming up, according to the Bible, for 150 days. I think it was coming from inside. The fountains of the deep broke open. The crust of the earth then would settle in to uh, to the void as the water escapes. Get myself. As the water escapes, the crust of the earth would settle into that void, settle in differentially, depending how the water's escaping. There'd be a lot of factors in that. It could be twisting up or bending. The bent rock layers we see all over the world had to form rapidly while the layers were all soft. I think I flashed pictures up there a minute ago of all that. So, yeah, I Sir, as I taught earth science for 15 years, I did not see anything that cannot be explained by a global flood. If you have a specific, I'd love to see that. But to me, right here, uh, the uh, liquefaction, there we go. Okay, slide number 700, Alt-DV, 701. Turbidity currents happen all the time. If the water's coming up because of the moon's gravity pulling the tide up, the water has to be rushing in to fill the void, to fill that bump, that rising bump. And it has to be coming in at the same speed the Earth is turning to stay under the moon. Here at Lennox, we're turning at 886 miles an hour. These currents would form these layers quickly, and this would tumble the rocks back and forth like a rock tumbler does. That's why gravel all over the world is rounded. They call this river rock. Guys, This rounded rock goes from here to North Carolina, 500 miles. That was a flood, not river rock. And all these layers would have formed very rapidly. Now, why you guys believe they are millions of years different in age, I don't know. You're welcome to believe that, but that's not scientific. They're all... uh, And why are they neatly planed? Where's the erosion marks between the layers?
1: Well, as as we've discussed, there are erosion marks between layers. Um, and There may be in some spots because of the flood. Yeah. Uh, but floods cannot preserve the erosion marks because that's soft mud on top of soft mud which would just oh, no, wait become a, a homogenized if, piece if of mud. If you had a
2: canyon eroded in the soft mud and a new layer of mud filled it in, then they all hardened together. Yeah, of course you can preserve a canyon. Not we with can the kind of flood we're talking here. about. Come on down. Uh,
1: so we have on Mars there are uh, there's evidence of these giant bursting floods and They carve kilometer wide uh, things much bigger than the Grand Canyon, and they they look completely different. Uh, So that's not realistic that it would uh, basically have meteoroid impact level force behind it, but somehow preserve small footprints.
2: Well, if Mars has canyons bigger than Grand Canyon, and I believe that's probably correct. That's the scientific evidence. Okay, now what's the interpretation of that? Well, could Mars have been blasted with things coming off the Earth when the crust of the Earth broke open? Could it have shot ice out, 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 or water out into space that would float around? And any any object with gravity, any of the planets, there's there's like magnets going around. They're sucking in anything gets close. Could Mars uh, gravity have sucked things in out of space, the water or ice? And could there have been a canyon a canyon formed on Mars? I don't know. Interesting, but. I almost want to get into the topic. If you guys believe all of Mars and the Earth fit in a dot smaller than a period, that's ridiculous. We're we'll getting evolution another time, but this idea that it all fit in a dot, insane. But yes, no. Mars has canyons. Earth has canyons, some pretty big ones, some subterranean canyons. I think the floods the best explanation for all the canyons. Now Mars, I don't know about that. I have to go see it someday.
1: Yeah. So we know of black holes today that compress matter into unimaginably small levels, but that's kind of irrelevant to the debate topic. Um, So uh, what I was trying to respond to a little bit ago uh, before your last response um, was that it is we do have the age of these layers, and uh, that radiometric dating is uh, extremely reliable, and the way that we can show that is... Basically, you know, we can go into how we can error check for contamination for this specific method or this specific method, but the fact of uh, the fact that there are you can test the same layers with different methods of radiometric decay and they come out with the same number. you don't have to know anything about the actual mechanisms of these methods if they come out with the same age, that's cross correlation. That is the golden standard of scientific evidence, um, because even let's assume that uh, their the uh, radiometric dating is broken. It should not be able to align perfectly every time with other methods of dating. That's like walking into a room where all the clocks have the same time on them and assuming that they're all broken, even though and assuming that the time isn't what they say because they're all, but, it, but it's actually even more reliable, all the radiometric dating, because they're using different methods. So if all the clocks are broken, they could ha- all have the same flaw. This is not possible with all of the different uh, radioactive dating. And the, and the fact that there are different ages consistently also proves that they were not uh, created at the same time. Because you have different rates of radioactive decay,
2: and that will require miracles. Well, I, I think a couple things to consider. First of all, I think they're mistaken. They're not all giving the same age. But you got to realize there is such a, um, the educational system and the publishing has been so clamped down on where you don't, nothing will get published if it doesn't go along with the current paradigm. You would never publish an article in a Muslim country saying Muhammad was a bad guy and Jesus was the Christ. They wouldn't publish that. They would probably get executed instead. You won't get an article published in communist countries saying communism is bad. Go to China and try to do that sometime. So if somebody publishes an article saying, look, I found radiometric dating to not work, they just simply, they'll ignore it. They won't be, it has to match the paradigm or it doesn't no, get they, published in a major They've journals.
1: published those, actually. Okay. No one's executing well, creationists up. in America. And there are published sure. uh, challenges to this dating, um, which were responded to. And they showed the flaws in that method. And they were like, okay, let's
2: move on. Well, I have lots of examples in my PowerPoint where they date living things and come up with tens of thousands of years old with the dating mm-hmm. method. Yeah, and they're that's still alive. That's a misuse of the method, though. Well, how can it be a misuse of the method? If my dog died and I took the bone in and said, Carbon date this, they would say, Where did you find it? What, what difference does it make where I found it? If your method works, just date it. But they, but, want, but they want to are... position it by the geologic column first to bracket the date they're looking for. Cause they might carbon date a sample and get five different dates off the same sample.
1: Yeah. Ask Cause people it's not for a living carbon What's dating that? is, uh, is w- the flaws with that are known. There are constraints. It's not a magic wand that you can just date anything <laughs> at any time. Uh, well, if, uh, most of these methods do not work for uh, immediate dating. Like uh, when, when it begins, you can't really date it because there is a margin of error which is small in comparison to what it can measure but uh in comparison to like human lifetimes it's within that margin of error so you're you're not going to get the correct results well it's like trying to measure it's trying to it's trying to measure nanometers with a ruler
2: yeah well here's an analogy that maybe i'll help you understand if you walked into a room and found a candle burning on a table and i asked you the question when was it lit the only empirical science we can do on this, things we can study, test, demonstrate, would be measure the height of the candle. We can do that down to the nearest bazillionth of an inch. Okay, it's seven inches tall. Then we measure how fast it's burning. Let's say, okay, it's burning an inch an hour. We get the Olympic stopwatches and we time it 4,000 times because we're getting paid by the government to waste our time on this candle. So we get, we measure the candle. It is burning an inch an hour and it's seven inches tall. When was it lit? Well, we just ran out of empirical science and now we got to go to assumptions, which is what carbon dating does. How tall was it when it started? I don't know. Has it always burned at the same rate? All kinds of things can affect the rate of burn of a candle, increased oxygen, little wind flow, uh, thicker wick, thinner wax, flammable wax, I don't know. So radiometric dating would not have even been possible if the geologic column had not been erected first. Clear back in 1976, they knew the geologic column was how they really dated things. So they, they find a no, fossil. No, because absolute,
1: absolute dating actually changed their assumptions to more accurate
2: ones. Well, the absolute dating is, the first question they ask is, where did you find it? They have to bracket it based on the stupid geologic column. Ever since William Smith, fossils have been and still are the best and most accurate method of dating and correlating the rocks in which they occur, from New Scientist magazine 40 years ago. I can think of no cases of radioactive decay being used to date fossils. Earth's atmosphere is 300 miles thick. Most of it's within 10 miles, but the atmosphere contains mostly nitrogen, but some oxygen, and Mm -hmm. a very tiny amount of C14. Some of that C14, is all of it's radioactive, the C14. Carbon-12 and C14 are mixed in the atmosphere. It's created by sunlight striking the atmosphere. Uh, The whole carbon dating thing was made up in 1955, a couple years after I was born. About uh, by Willard Libby, he said, "Wow, car- the sunlight is causing the formation of carbon fourteen. Plants are breathing in the carbon. We can tell but along." Car- the plant- carbon
1: dating yeah. is completely irrelevant here. It's not used to date rocks, so let's forget about that.
2: Well, all the dating methods follow the same assumptions as the candle. Has it always decayed at the same rate? Do you know the initial content? You cannot possibly know either of those. They've if proven we- there. Are anything- Will affect the decay rate of all the different radioactive elements, whether it be carbon, potassium, argon, or rubidium, strontium, lead two hundred eight, lead two hundred six. All of them are based on the assumption that the decay rate remains constant. And we know what the initial content was. No, you don't. You can't know either of those. In an honest. Well, there are world, a lot of ways
1: to know that. Actually, uh, there's there's a lot of um, chemistry involved, so it's complicated. Uh, the uh, for the lead argon dating, the initial conditions are hostile to lead so we you can rule out lead contamination in certain uh, conditions um, well, how do
2: you know the how do you know the initial conditions because this is where your evolutionary assumption is is flavoring your answer
1: no that's just chemistry and and you we're don't, not you assuming don't know the
2: initial conditions
1: well, we do if know I'm how right. chemicals. We do know the results of certain chemical reactions, and we know I the agree. initial conditions of those chemical reactions. If if it's something different, magic was involved. Uh, there's no reason to think that. Every time we test certain reactions, it's the same. Every time we test uh, nuclear decay, it's the same. It's never changed. There's no reason to think that it was different. And if we assume that it uh, was accelerated, that just makes the heat
2: problem. Uh, At least twice as bad. Stick on one at a time here now. I think if we look at the fossils, we find dinosaurs that are 60 and 80 feet long with nostrils the same size as a horse. He couldn't possibly breathe. So something had to be different when that dinosaur was walking around. Either richer oxygen in the air or increased air pressure or both. Either one or both together especially would solve the problem of the huge dinosaurs with small lungs and small nostrils. Apparently, they did live and walk around and reproduce. I mean, we find the bones of them. So you can't look at today's atmosphere and say that's the way it's always been. It was different. With the prove dinosaur fossil. But yet you but want to they, make it the same for all the, all the dating methods.
1: But the chemistry of oxygen hasn't changed, is the point. We know oxygen can be produced uh, by the plants. And we know how oxygen interacts with blood. That's not different the amount of oxygen can change. That doesn't, that's a non sequitur. It has nothing to do with the point.
2: Well, are you aware that uh, lots of uh, oxygen air bubbles are found in amber? When they suck the air bubbles out of the amber, they find they're 30% oxygen. So that tree that was bleeding out the sap, the amber is tree sap. If a tree got broken in the flood and the sap's oozing out all over, it's gonna trap samples of that atmosphere. Why would it be 30% oxygen? Google it. Uh, amber contains thirty percent oxygen. Today it's twenty-one percent.
1: I'm I'm not contesting that.
2: Well, then something was different the, on the planet. The
1: no, because you're confusing the amount of a particular chemical with its chemical properties. The chemical properties don't change ever. Well, the no, amount of chemicals there.
2: Oh, wait a minute. chemical properties change radically under different pressures. Uh, no, because yes, it's still the same
1: chemical properties.
2: Well. Oxygen, uh, oxygen 18 exists, if I recall. Chemistry was my least favorite of all the sciences, but uh, there's different isotopes of oxygen. Well, that'd be a whole different debate. I think the purpose of the debate, you said Noah's Ark, uh, the flood story is not possible. I said, it is. Well, here we have a book, the world's best-selling book claiming it happened, and you want to come along and say, no, it didn't. I think the burden of proof's on you and you haven't met your burden. You have not proven that the flood didn't happen. I think it is scientifically possible. There's plenty of water out there now to cover the earth a mile and a half deep. one drop would cover uh, cover the earth if you spread it real thin, but uh, there is water to cover the earth. There's lots of legends of the earth being covered, lots of flood legends. There are fossils all over the world. There are layers all over the world. I think that scientific evidence we observe says, wow, this planet was flooded. They go to Mars and find a canyon and conclude it was a flood. But they can't come to Earth and see a canyon and see it was a flood. That's a special they, kind of dumb. In they, my have,
1: they have much different uh, traits. Ah. Because it, it has the trait of an explosion from underground, pressurized water. We don't have these on Earth. They're way too large and they're straight. They don't curve like the Grand Canyon curves around like that. So they Uh they have much different properties. Um, They're thought to be explosive floods because they're much different from anything we see on Earth. Um, And that wouldn't prove a global flood, even if we had one on Earth. um, True.
2: Yeah, I agree. I don't think I could prove a global flood. I could point out that I think just nearly, nearly every square inch of the Earth has evidence that it was flooded at one time. Now, was it all at the same time? I, I don't think I could prove that. But see, I'm not asking my theory to be taught in the schools. And everybody pay for it. You guys are demanding we pay for your evolution theory to be taught in the schools, and we all pay for it. Why don't you go start a private school and teach you came from a rock? I don't
1: care. Well, that's not evolution. This, is, this has been around since before evolution. Um, but what do you think we should teach in the schools, if not the prevailing scientific
2: consensus? <laughs> well, I think we that's should. That's the best information we have, science. right? Yeah. In science class, we should teach science. There's plenty of science in any branch of science, whether it be earth science, physical science, biology. In biology, you could teach the kids, hey boys, boys and girls, this is the radius, the humerus, the uh, the, uh, ulna, the carpals, metacarpals, the uh, flexors, the extenders, the deltoid, the biceps, triceps, et cetera. You can teach all the muscles, all the bones, all the organs, all the functions, and never refer to evolution. Evolution is a complete waste of classroom time. In biology and in physical science, Certainly, you know, what do you need that for physical science? You know, acceleration due to gravity, one-half gt squared. Nothing to do with evolution. And Earth science, you can teach, hey, boys and girls, the Earth has lots of layers. Let me show them to you here. Uh, let's see, 1161. Uh, DV one 11. Oh,
1: so the oil speculators actually use this science to find oil, and they're oh, yeah. not using creationist assumptions. They're using There's old a, Earth assumptions.
2: Either one would work. There's a lot of oil in the ground. The creationist says, well, yeah, during the flood, whole herds of animals would be killed. If the water's coming up 200 feet every tidal change because of harmonic tide and coming in at 200 miles an hour, it's going to bury whole herds of animals under 50 feet of mud in seconds. How do you explain petrified closed clams? Go to the beach, man. You can find a bazillion clams, but they're open. Are you not even so, connected anymore. Closed so understanding,
1: right, so un- understanding how these rock layers form, is crucial to understanding how to find them and thus where the oil is. So once we understand, so teaching right. how they form is a form of science. So teaching what we know about how sandstone, form, sandstone forms in dry conditions only, uh, at least the, the one that I referenced, and how limestone forms at a rate of only two inches per year, which is far too slow for, a uh, young earth biblical flood model, that is science by your standards. And and it's it's crucial to understanding how to navigate the, the, what we live on.
2: Well, I love this planet. I love living here. I'm trying to stay here as long as I can. I'm going to make dying the last thing I do. I decided that at an early age. So, yeah, but I, I think I can look at the world and say, wow, this was created by God. I can give God the glory. And I think it was destroyed by a flood and it formed all the layers, petrified trees standing up. I don't see another way to explain that. The giant coal well, field, petrified trees running through different layers of coal. We've got them here in Alabama. So I, I don't see how you guys cannot see a worldwide flood when you see all these layers that you claim are different ages, like the Mary Lee and the Blue Creek, connected by, can be proven scientifically. you got trees that could be proven. This All these layers had to form before the tree rotted. I'd give it a couple years, maybe, not a million. A specimen Ridge, Wyoming, 27 consecutive forests. So if they all,
1: if they all started at the same time, they would have different, uh, or they would have the same level of radioactive decay going on, even if it was accelerated. So you would have to have selective acceleration of radioactive decay depending on what uh, level it's at, and that requires—that's not scientific. Um, I I know people that have taken. I
2: know people that have taken fossils or or wood and sent it to four different laboratories with the simple question, how old is it? They get four different answers from the same sample. Mm -hmm. There's way too much, in in an honest court of law, no carbon dating would hold up. Or radiometric potassium argon, rubidium strontium, lead 208, lead 206, none of them would hold up, okay? They're all based on some obvious assumptions. The, The coal seams nearly always have layers of clay. Petrified trees standing up. Joggins, Nova Scotia is famous for them hundreds and hundreds petrified trees connecting these layers that you guys are claiming are different ages. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. I think the layers formed rapidly, which is why the tree is connecting all the layers, which is why fossils are preserved at all. How many animals died today in the world? Like millions? How many are going to turn to fossils? None. It takes very special conditions for fossils to form and the flood is the best explanation of that I can see. But again, I'm not asking everybody to pay for my thing to be taught. I think we should teach science in science class and leave evolution out of it. Origins in general should not be involved because no matter what you teach, somebody's gonna get mad. Okay. Let me jump in here, uh, gentlemen. This has been a
0: fantastic discussion. We've got over 30 people in the chat. Uh, you guys were having such a, a cordial, intelligent discussion that uh, the timer did go off a few minutes ago. Actually, I think about 10 minutes ago. So, uh, But it's been so, so much fun and uh, time is flying by. Uh, Taylor, I know you probably have a few things you want to respond to uh, Kent pertaining to, to what he just said. So why don't we, since we have five minute closings, why don't we, if it's okay with you guys, jump right into the closings, uh, Taylor, you're going to start us off anyways. So whatever you'd like to respond to, you could always do it in your, in your five minute closing. And, uh, we are going to have a a good audience Q and a as well. So, uh, Taylor, let's hand it to you. Uh, you do have five minutes and, uh, if you take a few minutes over, that's fine as well. Or a few seconds, I should say, (laughs) Uh, go ahead. Okay.
1: So, um, We heard a lot of uh, assertions. The Bible says it, so I believe it. I believe in an ice layer. Um, We have, okay, layers can form quickly. Uh, We have no demonstration of how some of these layers, especially limestone, can form as quickly and and become rock as quickly as as needed. Um, We don't have any evidence that they were these layers were formed at the same time, we just have an assertion um, based on, well, if they can form at the same time, it must mean that these specific ones did. Well, that doesn't follow. Um, And we have evidence for uh, the different layers have different levels of radioactive decay. Uh, Even assuming we can't correctly date that, We know that radioactive decay is a natural process. And if these layers formed at the same time, they're decaying at different rates. That doesn't make sense unless there's, uh, again, miracles of interventions. And you can believe in miracles, but we can't study them. We can't test them. So it's not scientific. Uh, So I... We... uh, I'll touch on, I mean, the, the, the footprints again, we had a response on that, but not satisfactory to me. I don't see any way how the violence of the flood can preserve the such delicate things as footprints. Um, The, uh, but we didn't really get, uh, I didn't get any response to the explanation of why the, heat dispersal uh, propositions would not be effective. Uh, We didn't really have, we had no response for how the ark would be stocked with enough food and and fresh water, Um, how the small amount of people working on it would be able to take care of all those animals. Uh, And um, no real response uh, in numbers for how how much he could be absorbed by these various methods. Uh, we have no evidence of an ice layer. It's just asserted. Um, Kent at one point even said, I can't prove there was a global flood. So I feel like that's an, an admission that he's failed his, um, burden of, uh, debate. Uh, I feel like I've met my burden by showing that the, Different layers could not have formed at the same time. Simply, that—that's really all I needed to do. Um, some of the layers can only have formed in a dry situation. You only have 150 days. That's not enough to form dry sandstone, which has uh, dunes that need to form over a long period of time. Limestone is an even even bigger problem. Uh, the uh, I'll leap back a little bit. The there was not really an explanation. So I explained um, how the, the boiling water, yes, it will cool off the surface of the earth when it boils. But then you have boiling water shooting off into space. You still have no water. Uh, same problem with the coal. I think this is a misunderstanding of how basic thermodynamics works. It's not making, the water is not cooling down. Whatever's absorbing the heat is actually getting hotter it would still hold on to the heat, Uh, wood turning into charcoal. It wouldn't, it's not like a heat vacuum. It wouldn't suck in the, uh, the heat from the plate tectonics. It would only absorb heat that's directly next to it. And um, this would even assuming they can absorb all of it. You'd have these red hot coals dotting the entire earth and completely evaporated oceans. It's just completely inhospitable to life. And that's, again being very generous everything would be melted uh, everything would be evaporated even if we assume that the ice layer is as as 10 times the water that we have on the earth it would be completely evaporated by a mere fraction of the heat generated um, uh, so let's see um, the again the radioactive, dates correlating with each other shows that it's it's actually the chances of them all correlating with each other is impossible uh, if it's just random dates being generated. So the fact that they're cross-correlating, that's the gold standard of science that shows that even if one of them is broken, even if multiple are broken, the fact that they're all aligning on the same results with different methods, that is absolutely the highest standard of evidence that we have in science. Um, You say, teach science in science class. These are very useful concepts. Even evolution uh, has been very useful, especially in the medical sciences, because especially things like viruses, uh, things that have inserted into our genome uh, over time, uh, viruses that we've inherited from other animals, the way viruses evolve and mutate, 30 seconds. Um, okay. And the last thing I'll say is you mentioned, give glory to God. Uh, you can do that without uh, young earth creationism. In fact, uh, I believe that it's a much, much greater God that created this, this uh, universe that operates as a clockwork that can, can run on its own. Uh, it would require a much um, better planner and, just a much greater mind to create this universe that is able to create life within itself to create all the things we have without even him intervening every once in a while. So it does it all by itself. That's a much greater machine than him, than God having to constantly tweak things along the way. So you can still give glory to God no matter what. So that's it.
0: All right. Thank you, uh, Taylor, for that concluding statement. That was uh, exactly six minutes. Uh, We're a little Uh more easy going on the closing statement. So we're going to hand it over to Kent. Kent, you also
2: have uh, six minutes whenever you're ready. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I appreciate you guys at Standing for Truth for taking the stand. Just let both sides say their mind, speak their mind. This is great. Let people sort it out. The Bible says clearly in the very first chapter, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. There used to be a layer of water above the air. That is probably what made them live so long, and it had filtered out the radiation. The Bible says the earth is the Lord. He founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. There was water above the air. There was water under the crust of the earth. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. He stretched out the earth above the waters. So the model that I gave with an original creation having a layer of ice above the air And then the air to breathe and then the dirt to stand on and water under the crust, which is where the flood water came from, is the model that I defend. I think that's what the Bible teaches. There was water in the crust of the earth that came to the surface. But the scoffers are ignorant of that flood. That flood explains a lot of things. They're willingly ignorant of how God made the heavens, plural heavens. And the world was overflowed with water and it perished. And the fountains of the deep were broken up. It rained for 40 days, but the water kept coming up for 150 days. It's coming from inside the crust of the earth. This water shooting out is explains uh, a lot of things that we see, the erosion marks. Uh, there's a whole section about Grand Canyon. He's I, forget, I forgot to get to that. As the water is draining off the backside of the dam, which makes up Grand Canyon, it would have spiked uh, barbed canyons. If you Google barbed canyons, you'll see that can't form, it had to be formed by rapid uh, draining of a lake. Grand Canyon's a washed out spillway. But we talked about all this stuff and the rapid formation of the can- mountains and the canyons, the wrinkling of the carpet, et cetera. He mentioned several things I didn't get to cover here. He said, evolution is used in medical science. I think you're grossly mistaken there. All we've ever seen is dogs produce dogs and cats produce cats. I think that any bacteria or viruses that evolve have to stay within the same kind. They're still a bacteria. No bacteria has ever evolved into an elephant. Well, there's no evidence whatsoever from any branch of science for the claims that evolutionists are making. They're just making these claims. These wrinkled mountain layers, as I mentioned, hundreds of layers all tilted at the same time, all at the same time. There there are no cracks in those little layers where they were bent after they were hard rock. They were all soft mud when they bent at the same time. I'll show you pictures here. And underwater today, there are millions, maybe tens of millions of hot water vents shooting water up into the bottom of the ocean. Some are on the surface like geysers, like Old Faithful. Most are in the oceans because the earth is 70% underwater. But this trapped water that's down there is probably left over from the original creation that did not get to escape yet from the flood. Scoffers are ignorant of the creation, the flood, and the coming judgment of God. The Bible says the heavens and the earth, which are now, that's we're standing on, are reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. There's only two conclusions you can come to. There's a God or there isn't. If you say, okay, I believe there's a God now, is he capable of writing a book and telling us how he did it or not? Some people look at the same thing and come to opposite conclusions. That's a six. No, it's a nine. Okay. No, it's a four. No, there's three of them. Are there two faces or two vases or a vase? So I think we can all look at Grand Canyon and say, yep, Grand Canyon exists. The evolutionist says it formed slowly with a lot of little water and lots of time. Creationist says it formed quickly with a lot of water and a little bit of time. Either one would make the canyon, but there are things about it that cannot be and explained by the slow erosion. And I cover all this in my seminar series. Anyway, if you'd like to help, uh, we—I want to help strengthen your faith in the Word of God. My seminar series is 18 hours long, covers all kinds of this. Where do dinosaurs fit in? You can get the whole thing for 50 bucks when you're done watching, and you can return it and get your money back. I used to loan my videos out. I learned right away people don't borrow, but they—they they don't steal, but they borrow and never return. Pay the 50 bucks when you're done. Send it back. We'll get your get your uh, money back to you. We just want to help. If you're concerned about the world the way things are going now and what's coming, I did a whole series on what on earth is about to happen. Whoa! I think it's 20 some hours about what the Bible teaches the future holds. We're headed for disaster, folks. You might want to get ready for that. If we can help, call us 855 Big Dino. That's 8 855 244 3466. I'm extension three. Take calls all day long. I'll be glad to talk to you. And. T- uh, uh, Taylor, if you want to call, like we can talk off air sometime, or come down and visit Dinosaur Adventureland. We're going to have a big Thanksgiving party here for everybody, atheists especially, invited. We'll do it again at Christmas. Bring the whole family down. We'll feed you like a king, treat you like a king, show you the place, teach you some science. Okay, thank you so much for having me. One minute left, right? Uh, keep these debates going. and uh, Taylor, come on down. We want to uh, treat you like a king. We'll show you around Dinosaur Adventureland. Okay?
0: I appreciate that. Uh, Kent, thank you both. Uh, Kent and Taylor for a fantastic debate. Uh, great audience and uh, just really, really good debate. I appreciate it. Uh, that being fed like a king, uh, Dr. Hovind, sounds pretty good. Uh, so I may just have to sneak down there and uh, enjoy a, a Thanksgiving dinner with you guys. So um, as we... As we kind of get into the Q&A here, though, I just wanted to announce real quick that uh, we at Standing for Truth Ministries have partnered with John Mackay, the creation guy, and his creation research team on a new short film that should be released early 2022. So here's kind of the sneak peek uh, movie poster for it. Uh, It's going to be a ton of fun, experience creation from the beginning. So stay tuned for that, guys. We will keep you posted Uh, more and more on on how that's coming along. So that being said, uh, thank you to the audience for a ton of great questions. Uh, We'll never be able to get through all of these. I'm going to put a time limit on the Q&A, actually, as we usually do, which means we'll get through as many as we can within about 20, 25 minutes. So why don't we just kind of get right into the first question, as we usually do here. uh, Let's say the questions for Taylor. OK, we'll give you the chance to obviously answer it first. Kent can give a response and then we'll give you the last word. That way we can move along smoothly. So the very first question that came in all the way at the beginning uh, from Dylan Bradshaw. And I appreciate if some of these questions were answered during the discussion, but I guess it's just the nature of, of debate. So Dylan asks uh, you, Dr. Hoven, um, he says an ice canopy would create a major heat problem on the earth. Have you considered this fact
2: i don't see how it would an eskimo's igloo doesn't create a major heat problem it gets to a certain temperature and it transfers heat right through the ice uh i think that would be i think you'd have to prove his point if he claims it would form i mean do, do the, the earth today has has atmosphere has layers nobody questions that troposphere thermosphere exosphere ionosphere do those layers create a heat problem today I think it all pretty well equalized. I have multiple layers of clothing on when it gets uh, cold out to to keep my body heat in. So I I don't I'd have to see him prove his point if he thinks he can he can make that statement. But that's not scientifically provable that ice canopy would create a heat problem.
0: Right. I appreciate that response. Uh, Kent, Snake, if you wanted uh, to to add a quick couple points, just make sure you unmute yourself. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll unmute you, Snake. Okay, oh, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um.
1: Well, all I'll say, I guess, is it. It does seem like a canopy would not allow uh, the radiative cooling, so that seems like a legitimate point.
0: Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one comes in from Sean Mac. I appreciate it. Question for both. Uh. So he says, "How does the Roche limit?" And the moon's gravity affect the ice sphere. Um, whoever wants to start the ice canopy. I think he means.
1: Yeah. Um, that would be uh, the, the limit that the the closest the moon can orbit the earth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure where you think the, how far out the ice canopy is. Um, so that that would be hard to answer without that, um, but yeah, I think I think the moon uh, recession is pretty interesting. It even at a linear rate, it uh, could not have it, it is more consistent within old Earth.
0: Okay, thank you, Taylor. Uh, go ahead, Doctor Hovind.
2: Well, if I recall, Roche's limit is two point four four times the diameter of the. Larger planet or smaller planet, let's take it the larger planet. Earth, Earth's 8,000 miles, so t- eight, the radius, I think it was the diameter, yeah. So 8 times 2.44 is about 20,000 20, miles. So uh, the, in other words, a, a moon cannot orbit within Ro- what's called Roche's limit. We see the scientific fact, the moon that was going around our Earth is getting further away. It's been measured about one and a half inches a year. The moon is getting farther from the Earth, okay? Well, that means it used to be closer. Well, how much closer can you bring it before it creates a problem? You cannot get within Roche's limit. It'll, gravity will collapse the orbit, just like two magnets getting close together and they snap together at a certain point. So the moon's receding, the moon leaving the earth is another powerful evidence. It cannot be billions of years old. If I told you this ink pen was 5,000 years old, you'd say, come on, Hovind, that's a Bic pen, and Bic wasn't even a company till after World War II. Just that one fact, Bick created the pen and Bick didn't exist till after World War II. You just proved my 5,000 year claim wrong. Now I still don't know when the pen was made and nor do I care, but I know it was made after World War II. It was a ballpoint pen. Plastics weren't invented. I don't know. You could, you could, you could systematically prove my 5,000 year claim for this pen is wrong. I think I can easily prove that billions of year claim for the earth is wrong. The earth is cooling off. The moon is getting further away. The earth is slowing down in its spin. The population of people is growing. I go through about 60 different scientific indicators. The earth cannot be billions of years old on my YouTube channel, Kent Hovind Official. I did a whole series, an hour long, just on my, this DVD series here you can get, called The Age of the Earth. How to show the earth cannot possibly be billions of years old. The age of the earth. So it only takes one proof of a young earth to prove the point. I mean, if you told me, you know, the sink pen was 5,000 years old. I could, with one point, brute. no, you're not. It's not. It's made by pick. So I think one proof of a young earth is all that's needed, but I give about 30 or 40. I think over my YouTube channel, Ken Hovind Official, I've probably given a total of maybe 70 scientific indicators, not from the Bible, from science. The earth can't be billions of years old. The sun is burning up, it's losing 5 million tons a second. It's quite a fuel source. And it's shrinking five feet an hour. Okay, if you want to do the same, uh, put the same standard you do with carbon dating, well, then it's only a few million years old. Unless you want to allow for variation, where's the extra material going to come from for the sun to burn? But that's that's a long story. So I think the question uh, about Roche's limit is a fair one. The moon cannot orbit within Roche's limit, whatever that is. I think it's 20,000 miles. And yet we see the moon getting further away. I think that's a problem for Taylor and not for me. Go ahead. All right, I
0: appreciate that. Well, I appreciate the question. Okay, you know if what? If I could
1: respond be- with the math real quick, uh, sure, go ahead. Just because that was real long. Um, so, the four point five billion years that the Earth has been dated to, the Moon is receding by four centimeters a year, uh, and the Moon is not receding at a linear rate because of the re- an inverse square law. But let's be generous; assume the linear rate that would be a a total recession of 180,000 kilometers. The current average distance is 385,000. So just basic subtraction, the moon would still be uh, 205,000 kilometers away from the earth, which is well above the uh, 18,400 kilometer Roche limit. So that line of attack does not work.
0: Go ahead, Ken, if you wanted to, to well, respond.
2: Would Snake, would the moon being closer affect the tides? Isn't the moon what causes the tides? If the moon were closer, you inverse inverse square law. If you brought the moon into half the distance, it's quadruple the attraction, one half inversed and squared, the tides would be enormous, whether it's within Roche's limit or not. It would still destroy the earth with increased tides with a closer moon. But that there's a million other questions to get to.
0: All right. Well, thank you. Uh for the little back and forth there. Good question. So let's get right to the next one. Um, Let's see. So that one was for, uh, well, the both of you. Okay, so let's get to, this one comes in from Mike Jones in the form of a super chat. So I appreciate the super chat and support Mike. Uh, He asks, question for Dr. Hoven. Have you worked out your equations with a meteorologist or a planetary scientist to see if your ice dome is feasible?
2: I've not worked it out with him. No, many other people have worked on this. Walt Brown, many other people have talked about, uh, have done research on this. It's gone. Whatever was up there is gone, has been gone since the flood 4,400 years ago. So it would be theoretical. We see the evidence of glacial, glacial uh, lateral moraines and terminal moraines clear down to Kansas City, but we don't see glaciers down to Kansas City. So I think there's evidence that there was ice clear down to Kansas City. That's not a question. Uh, I think there's overwhelming evidence the Earth had ice age, rapidly moving ice, roaring down from the poles. Um, I think there was an enormous amount of ice on this planet at one time, more than we have now. We see the evidence of giant creatures that are found fossilized. I mean, cattails, uh, 60 feet tall, cattails. Something was everything, just about everything we see alive today is found in fossil form, much bigger So I think the the crystalline canopy above the earth is a simple explanation that, and the Bible certainly teaches there was water above the atmosphere. And the historians have always taught this, there was something was different. So I think it hasn't been disproven. It doesn't make it proven, but it certainly isn't disproven. All right, I appreciate that
0: answer. Uh, This next question is actually for you, uh, Taylor. We've got a good mix of questions for both Kent and uh, you, Snake. So this one comes in from Wretched Vessel. Question for Taylor: How do you know what the heat would have been? Why isn't your assumption just that?
1: Why isn't my assumption? I, I don't get that part of the question. Uh,
0: you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, he, I just read it word for word. So, uh, how do you know what the heat would have been? Why isn't? So I guess he's saying, what's your assumption behind the um, so-called heat problem?
1: Well, there have been was it Andrew Snelling who did some calculations, but um, the the two that I'm working with was um, based on the friction that it would take to move a continent uh, in that little amount of time. Uh, let's I might have the exact joules around here somewhere written down, but um, another one you, you can pretty easily calculate the heat uh, that's generated from. Uh, uh, radioactive, um, decay. And you, all you do is just, uh, multiply that by the time that it takes. So, uh, and that is extremely enormous. Um,
0: all right. I appreciate
1: but that. I, I, I only remember the, uh, proportions. So the, the friction would cause 22.7 times the amount that it would take to boil off, uh,
2: 400% of the Earth's oceans, so. All right. Uh, yeah, quick response. Um, sir, it, all the arguments about the heat from the continents sliding, I think there's no question the continents have moved, they've wrinkled. But they're all ignoring the fact that the Bible clearly teaches there was water under the crust of the earth. As that water is escaping while the crust is being contorted, that's going to alleviate the friction. It's a lubrication. So I think they're, they're completely ignoring that. They're claiming the continents were moved, dry rock sliding over dry rock which is the not true uh so that we'll cover on my video number six more on that about the continents moving around and the shapes of the continents they say the shapes of the continents prove they used to fit together guys if you they say north america south america and africa seem to fit so if you walk out there you'll find out there's dirt under the oceans all the way across might have to get a long pair of stilts but you could walk across so yeah, there's, the continents never were connected. My house and the neighbor's house would fit perfectly if you joined them together. Doesn't prove they were together. There's dirt at the bottom of the oceans, guys. The continents might have slid a little bit and moved around, but you can't go by the shapes and the stupid Pangea theory. Get my video six for more on that.
0: All right, so, thanks uh, for that response, Kent. Yeah. Uh, so ba- Baumgartner
1: uh, calculated 10 to the 28th joules of heat energy from
2: subduction alone. Um, oh, tell them to give me a call. We'll talk about that. All right.
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on uh, guys. Great job so far. So this one comes in from one God is now here uh, in the form of a super chat. I appreciate it. So question for Taylor. When previously deep time dated fossils of organisms are found alive today, do you agree that it's scientific when scientists call these living fossils rather than admitting science may have got it wrong?
1: Uh, it's colloquial. Yeah. Um... I can share a picture of the, uh, the living fossil coelacanth. Um, They have changed a lot. They're only called living fossils because I mean, we even call crocodiles living fossils and it's, it's not a scientific term. It's just colloquial because um, they haven't changed much, but there's still measurable changes. Uh, There's nothing in evolution that says that the overall body plan can't remain the same. Um, and then if you guys are interested, uh, I'm sharing the screen right now. Um, so there, there's just there's measurable, very noticeable differences in the different coelacanth. Um, over time, the, the last one is the modern coelacanth. You can see that their body shape changes a lot over time. Um, but they were just surprised that there are still some around, so nothing uh, too surprising
2: there.
0: All right. Thank you for the visual and the response, uh, Snake. Dr. Open. if you wanted to add anything, go ahead.
2: Well, yeah, I think you'll find many animals alive today are also found as fossils, and many thousands of them. Uh, and almost always, they're bigger in the fossil record. Fossil dragonflies, 50-inch wingspan. I broke my back years ago, and I can't sit very long. I'm about done sitting here, guys. Uh, But I think that the the fossil evidence of eight foot beaver fossils, and the biggest one today is two and a half feet. A a beaver, Uh, fossil, um, all kinds of things, fossil centipedes, eight feet long. So I think uh, the only explanation I can see for that is the world at one time, I'm gonna say before the flood was very different, had increased air pressure. Insects especially, since they breathe through their skin, they have to have increased air pressure. Because as an insect enlarges, you have a surface area to volume ratio problem. If you take a one, one by one by one cube, it's got six square inches of skin and one inch of volume. But if you double it to two by two by two, it's now got eight square, uh, cubic inches of volume and only 24 square inches of skin. You went from six to one to three to one. And I cover all this on video seven. So I think that the insects are a great problem for the evolutionist to explain the giant insects. Increased air pressure, and increased oxygen solves it easily.
0: All right. Thanks, Kent. What well, we'll do, because the question was for you, uh, Taylor, uh, I'm going to make sure I get through the last two super chats, and then we're going to call it a night. Uh, you guys have already been uh, generous enough with your time. So, uh, Taylor, real quick response. We're going to get through these last two super chats just to honor the donations, and then we're going to call it a night.
1: Um, yeah, there's there's no problem with extra oxygen or bigger animals and evolution. so.
0: All right. So this one comes in from raw $5 super chat. I appreciate it. Um, And we can, I just have a rapid fire on these last two. Um, Let me see here. She asks why aren't there any modern animals or plants found in primary. Oh, I just noticed Kent was maybe just getting up to walk around. Um, If you want Taylor, what we can do. I did see
1: one about uh, human footprints.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the super chats. We only have two left. And this one came in from what, who, what, when. I think this might be the one that you're referring to. Um, Actually, well, this one has to do with stasis, which we just kind of talked about. So why don't we... Which one did you see with footprints? We can end it with a question for you.
1: Uh, Something about... um... Am I aware that there are footprints in the limestone?
0: Um, yeah, I'm looking through here. Well, let, what we'll do is just these last couple uh super chats. I there's too many here to funnel through. So uh Dr. Oven, why aren't there any modern animals or plants found in primary charts of Archaean age? I think um, he's just getting his mic back up. Yeah,
1: that that one was from Sam Jenkins. I can repost oh. it.
2: All right, okay. That I was talking okay. about. Yeah, I, I just saw it. Okay. okay, is that the question out at the bottom I'm seeing there? No. Oh.
0: It's right here, uh, Ken. It says, um, why aren't there any modern animals or plants found in primary? And then the word is C-H-E-R-T-S
2: of Archean age. Well, I think it's an obvious, obvious assumption in that, in that question that certain fossils ought to be found in a layer that he's given a name to it. You don't know the names of, you don't know the ages of any of those layers. And if the top layer is younger, where did it come from? Are these layers coming from outer space? They're claiming the layers deposit this way. No, they deposit sideways. Go to uh, Experiments in Stratification by Guy, some French name about this big. Experiments in Stratification. Watch the video. As water's moving sideways, it forms 10 or 15 layers at the same time. The layers form downstream, not this way, this way. So you can watch all that. But uh, I think all the evidence is that the any, all fossils found are very similar or nearly identical, only bigger than today. And the fossil insects that are much larger had to have greater air pressure, greater oxygen, or both, I think both. So I don't really? think anything has been proven wrong about the Bible by tonight's discussion.
0: Okay, Ken. Well, we're going to end it with this last question. This one will be for you, Taylor. Uh, thank you for the endurance from the both of you. Um, so Sam Jenkins asked, and this is the question, Taylor, you were referring to. Are you aware of human footprints verified as genuine by examination and modern imaging being found in Cretaceous limestone? If so, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, well, if that's, I, I've heard of several of them that have been, uh, examined by creationists and of course they uh conclude that they're human um is that if that's the paluxy tracks i know a a lot about that um there were a couple others that uh were just impressions in limestone um that were erosion but uh as far as paluxy goes i just made a little uh, chart here so it was just a a bunch of dinosaur tracks and then this they claim is the human so looks like dinosaurs are evolving into humans and then back into dinosaurs mid-stride so i'm not sure that helps the situation
0: at all Um, all right thank you for that uh response
2: uh kenton i'm sure if you wanted a response or just kind of wrap it up here Uh, No, uh, I've been to Paluxy many times. I know Dr. Carl Ball has a museum there and he studied the print. We've got copies of the tracks here. Certainly there have been some misidentified, you know, where it's see just the the pad print of a dinosaur or something. But there are many legitimate human footprints, usually much bigger than ours today, have been found. Many human footprints have been found around the world. If you watch my video number three about dinosaurs in the Bible, I have a whole section just, I was trying to find it quickly here. I show pictures of these and it's, this is not just a, a, in the middle of a trackway of other dinosaur tracks. It's a whole trackway of human tracks. When they were first discovered, there was a chiropractor who lived there in Glen Rose who began making it his life study of these things. I mean, the guy was a chiropractor. and know a little bit about anatomy. He said, look, these are human footprints. Fossilization can take place quickly. Frequently, fish are found, like this fossil fish inside of a fish. A fish, a fossil with a head thrown back. I got one here showing, uh, what some of the foot, a finger, uh, human foot handprints. Uh, not that one, let's see. Uh, there we go, giant dragonflies, fossils. And hope to show the one of a fish giving birth. I mean, soft tissue, like f- flowers are found fossilized. H- how could that last? Fossilization can be a rapid event. If it's buried quickly in mud, the mud then turns to stone. It can turn the fossil within it, or the plant within it to a to a fossil. Happens quickly. So I think the Bible says that the scoffers will be willingly ignorant of the creation and the flood. They don't like to admit that flood could do all the things that we see in geology because that represents the judgment of God. And Taylor, God's gonna judge you one day. He's gonna judge me too. But see, my sins are forgiven. I accepted Jesus Christ payment for mine. So I'm going to heaven, it ain't because I'm good, because he's good he saved me 52 years mm-hmm. ago now. I'd like to see the same for you. Go ahead.
0: All right, thank you, Kent uh, Taylor question was for you. Uh, so if you want to add any, any final thoughts, final points, and then we're going to, we're going to call it a night. Very good debate guys. Mm Hmm. Uh, so yeah, without specific
1: reference to, uh, footprints, I'm not sure I would have to look into that. So, uh, the one I gave is the one I know most about. So, um, I guess we can leave it there and, yeah, mighty convenient to uh, have all your sins erased. Um, I try and just do the right thing the first time, so. All right, well. How's that
2: working out for you?
1: Pretty good.
0: All right, guys, you, you both made for a great debate. Uh, definitely one to remember. Great chat the entire time. Great uh, questions from the audience as well. I appreciate the support. I appreciate uh, the super stickers from the audience. Uh, Kent, uh, Taylor, any final words and anything you wanted to kind of add before we uh, shut it down for the night?
2: No, we'd like to invite everybody down. November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving, our Bible Believers Baptist Big Bang Blowout. We're taking on all the atheists in the world. Come on down or come by Skype or by phone. We're gonna, I'm gonna debate all of you at the same time with half my brain tied behind my back. We wanna see the best three evidences for evolution. We're gonna debunk them right here on our channel, Kent Hovind official, while well, on the other channel. And we'd love to have you come. Come spend the next day. Spend the day with us. We'll be your family. Join us for Thanksgiving dinner. So you're invited. Taylor, come on down. All right. Awesome.
0: Thanks for those final well, words. Kent, that sounds a lot, like a lot of fun. And yeah, go ahead, Taylor. Final words.
1: Well, I will unfortunately be uh, in Mexico with my feet in the sand. But uh, I guess there's a couple things I could briefly touch on if that's okay that I don't think I got to um as far as the all the mountain layers forming at the same time, uh, we can see today how mountains form. We we watch them grow. They're being pushed by the plate tectonics. Um, and as far as evolution, I know it wasn't really a debate on evolution, but um, I guess I'll just say uh, we we observe today that the size, shape, uh, location, orientation, number, and chemical composition of bones and organs and all all of their traits change and so there's no reason to think that that can't uh, that lineages can't um, accumulate a lot of those changes so that's the science of evolution in a nutshell and I guess I'll leave it there
0: alright well I appreciate it uh, Kent and Taylor we're going to let you guys go uh, that's two hours two hours flies by as usual so God bless you God bless the chat and uh, Stain for Truth is out